0: Father, we pray that your kingdom would come in Ukraine as it is in heaven, in Russia as it is in heaven, in Atlanta as it is in heaven. We know that this, is, this world is not the way it, it, it should be. We see the impacts of sin both individually and across the world. Uh, we see this and we pray that your peace would come. We pray that courage uh, would come. We pray that clarity would come. In Saint Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for praying. If you can open up your Bibles, we're going to preach from, or I'm going to preach, uh, you might preach as well if you want to, but um, from Exodus, um, and this is Exodus, actually Exodus 34, I wrote it up there wrong, but 34 verses 29 through 35. Um, and you can, if so you up on the screen, you can follow along, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into this text. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, With the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him. And he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful for the Bible, the Scripture that we place over us and we submit under. We're thankful for opportunities to understand in a deeper way who you are. May you convict our hearts today of sin where we have been in error, both in our thoughts, our words, our, our deeds Bring us back to you where we have strayed. Remind us of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and how much you love us. Father, we pray for the people in our church. We pray that you would care for them and provide for them, whether they're in need financially, relationally, uh, with their health, uh, with their vocation, with their job, whatever the ways that you, uh, you know that they need help. Father, may you provide that and may we have an opportunity to be the church to one another. You need to grow us that Redeemer to be healthier and healthier to where we are deeper and deeper in love with You and seeking to, to share that love with one another. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 We're going to start off, I know it's not Lent yet, we're going to start off with a little confession time. For a long time, I hated wearing a seatbelt. This is just me being honest with you and I just didn't wear one. And don't don't worry, I know how terrible it is. I can can feel the judgment in the room at me right now, and I have no excuse. I just didn't do it. I drove a Jeep for a while, and I just simply loved feeling unconstrained by anything. However, one time, my old next-door neighbor and dear friend Andrea was in the car with Diane and I. We were probably on a double date with her, And her husband, and she noticed that I didn't have my seatbelt on. I was driving. And in sisterly love, that woman, Andrea, let me hear about it. She went into full mom mode, gave me a lecture like few have ever received before on the dangers of not wearing (laughs) a seatbelt, much to my wife's amens. Andrea cared deeply for me and wanted me to know that I was in fact being an idiot and not understanding that I was taking a completely unnecessary risk. The fascinating part is to ask the question then, why did Andrea and I think so differently about this? We're similar ages. We actually grew up not far from each other, just outside of Atlanta. We literally lived next door to each other for about five years Why were we so different in our beliefs? Why was she so passionate about me wearing that seatbelt? And why was I just very willing to not wear one on multiple occasions? Well, for her job, Andrea, when she was in Atlanta, worked as a nurse at Shepherd Center. If you're unaware, Shepherd Center is a hospital here in town that helps people who have dealt with intense spinal injuries. At her job... Andrea saw person after person who came in with spinal spinal injuries, many of whom would never walk again. And so many of these men and women sustained these injuries, you guessed it, by not wearing their seat belts and being in car accidents. So her experience of caring for paralyzed men and women, helping them do everything from eat to go to the bathroom... Not, oh, maybe it didn't change what she thought about the safety of seatbelts, but changed the intensity of her belief. We both knew that seatbelts are safer. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a moron. Like, I understand how it works, that they keep you safer. But her experience of being a nurse at Shepherd Center changed how she thought about this in a way that my lack of experience did not. The reality is something we all know is that experiences matter. The Scripture teaches this. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus very easily could have just you know, said, I'm going to write down all the things that I want you to believe about me. Come down from, come down, uh, from heaven to earth. You know, live for a couple years and then die on the cross to pay for your sins. But He didn't do that. He was present with people for so long. He moved them. Through miracles, through loving them, through speaking grace into their lives, through physically touching them, move them sometimes to tears. Experiences in the presence of God are a gift from God to help us to, to help us to understand not only who He is, but to allow us. He allows us to experience who He is with our entire being. Experiences matter. Experiencing the presence of God helps to let the truth of the Scripture, the things we know in our head to be true, not just stay there, but sink into the deep parts of who we are. So this is what happened in Exodus 34. Moses had been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, a supernatural event. He comes down from the mountain with these two tablets with the Ten Commandments of God on them. Does he not, and does not realize his face is shining on, radiating Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and why was his face shining simply because he was in the presence of God when you're in the presence of God the simple application here is that it changes you it doesn't mean that you you know every time you're in the presence of God you're going to come back with a glowing face if that happens like definitely shoot us a text we'd love to be there for that but it does mean that you are changed in one way or another. God didn't have to make his face glow, but he wanted the people then and the people today to understand that being God's presence changed Moses. He talked to the people, then put a veil actually over his face, and then take, took it off again to go talk to God. And this is unbelievably, you know, fascinating, super cool that this happened, but what is actually going on? Is this just God showing off some like cool tricks of His, but what's the point of this? And if we understand this, Exodus 34, in light of what is happening leading up to this, we understand that God is communicating, not just that He's powerful, but that He's so good and He wants us to, to experience that goodness. When you read through Exodus, you can clearly see that Moses' shining face functions to communicate God, communicate God's essential goodness to His people. God's people, are they wane and wax in their faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And God wants to communicate over and over the message that He is good and that He loves His people. And although the people fear Moses when they see His face and they actually walk away from Moses, what does Moses do? He says, no, 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 you have nothing to fear. Come back to Me. And this raises the question of what exactly did God display to Moses when He passed before Him? In the, in the verses leading up to this in 34 and 19, but the text is clear. In, 30, in chapter 33, it says that when Moses makes the request that God show him his glory, he asks God, show me your glory. God defines that glory in verse 19 as all my goodness. He defines it as his name, which means I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. This description sheds light on what we see in these, in these quick seven verses, that Moses' face is not just shining because it's a cool trick of God's. Moses' face is shining with the glory of God. At its core, God's glory is not just you know, magnificent. It's communicating something to us. His glory is communicating God's love, God's mercy, and God's compassion. Moses goes to be with God. Moses brings back a message to the people that God is full of love, mercy, and compassion. So in spite of Israel's idolatry, in spite of the whole story of the Israelites waxing and waning in their faithfulness, God reassures them of His gracious character in the form of Moses' shining face. He is a God who is slow to anger. Earlier in chapter 34, He keeps steadfast love for thousands and forgives iniquity. Moses' glowing face is God saying, despite your sin, despite your running away, I not only want to tell you that I forgive you, I want you to experience my goodness. And did God have to do this? Was there anything that God had, you know, any reason God had had to do this? And the answer is absolutely not. In no way did he have to make Moses' face shine like that, or he didn't even have to let Moses be in his presence. He could have written whatever he wanted to write to Moses on a tablet, dropped it down, and let him walk right into it. But the reality is that God cared enough about Moses and those people and He cares enough about us today that He not only wants to tell us about His goodness and His grace and His forgiveness, He wants us to experience it. Jonathan Edwards, great theologian, said it's one thing to believe that honey is sweet. It's a whole other thing to taste it. The tasting of honey brings you a sweetness that the mind could never have. Experiences matter. A Puritan theologian and preacher Gideon Thomas Goodwin tells the story of walking behind a man and his son. He's walking behind him on a sidewalk and at one point the man picked the little boy up and gave him a huge hug. When I read this, I thought, I thought about uh, Cairo, Cairo's dad, walking on a sidewalk and Cairo being picked up by Ronald. The little boy... The dad picked the little boy up and gave him a huge hug. The little boy returned the embrace. And they both looked at each other and said, I love you. And then the father put the little boy right back down and just kept on walking on the sidewalk. And in that moment, Goodwin says, was the little boy any more of a son when he was up in his father's arms than when he was on the sidewalk? No, he absolutely was not. He was 100% that man's son on the sidewalk, just like he was 100% that man's son when he picked him up. But he was experiencing his sonship when his dad picked him up, wrapped him in his arms, and said, I love you to that boy. And sometimes through the Holy Spirit, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, the reality of God's love, becomes real to our hearts through experiences. It's not enough just to read your Bible and gain some knowledge. It's not enough just to read great theological books. It's helpful, of course, but you and I know there has to be a regular experience of God's love in our lives to go along with that. So how do we do this? How do we live a Christian life, a life of following Jesus where we have the ups and downs of how we Feel about God. If I took a, a poll today, if you had a a, a a card in the seat back in front of you that said "Rate how you're feeling about God's love today," we'd have everything from negative forty to hundred and ten on a scale of zero to ten. Like, and, you, and if we came next week, and did the same thing, you may be completely flip flop from the previous week. We all understand there's the ups and downs about how we feel about God. So, what role does it, do experiences play in our relationship with God? And one of the challenges when preaching, just to give you a little look behind the curtain here, is that compared to when we counsel someone as pastors, is that we stand up here in the pulpit and we are speaking to a group of people with a myriad of backgrounds and experiences. And though truth is truth, truth, wisdom tells us that based on the hurts, the struggles, the joys and the pains that you all have experienced in your individual lives, sometimes you need this explained in different ways. Some of you may be because you grew up in a church to emphasize doctrine, the teaching, the theology of the Bible, way above and beyond the experience of being with Jesus. Sometimes you need to be invited here, pushed, into seeing that experiencing, truly experiencing the presence of God is essential to your walk with the Lord. This is more than just a theological exercise. But maybe you, because that's not been your background, it feels out of control to you. Maybe it feels disorderly to you. Maybe for whatever reason that is, but I want you to be invited to take a step towards regularly pursuing being in the presence of God. And I come from that, a lot of me comes from that background. I remember sitting, when I was in seminary, we were at the church that planted this church, Trinity, and my wife and I got to church early, and the opening prayer went up on the screen. So we, we, alongside Anglican churches all over the world, pray the same prayer on Sunday mornings as they rotate through a three-year kind of plan. And I remember reading that prayer and then looking at my wife and saying, that is really theologically solid. And I remember her looking at me, her looking at me being like, what is wrong with you? Ah... Because I looked at this prayer and I and, and I was, you know, evaluating like how does that line up with the truths of Scripture? Is that theologically sound? Is there anything wrong with that prayer? She looked at that prayer in her maturity and was just like, This is an invitation for me to be in the presence of God. And I whiffed a hundred percent. So if you're in in the camp that I come from, I want you to be invited to take take a step out of your comfort zone and be willing to say, God, how do I pursue being in your presence. But there's the other half of you, and you know, speaking in generalities, that maybe you grew up in a church that emphasized experience over doctrine. Maybe it felt like a weekly uh, kind of pursuit of a mountaintop experience for you every Sunday or Wednesday night that you had to to achieve in order to feel like you were close to God. He was close to you. So maybe you need to be invited or pushed to recognize that your walk with Jesus is has to be driven not only by experience. It can't be just experience, but through a theological understanding of who God is, even when you feel distant from Him. Amen? There is no road forward, I promise you. I'll be doing this long enough to know there's no road forward where our obedience to God is 100% dependent upon our emotional experience of God. And isn't this true of every relationship? If you've been married for more than, you know, like 36 hours, you know that marriage is incredibly full of like those warm and high emotions. It is beautiful. There's so many moments where I look at my wife, my wife looks at me, and it's like this is incredibly wonderful. But those warm and high emotions are never going to sustain us for the next 50 years. It's not true just of marriage, it's true of friendships across the board. If you're looking at your friendships, your roommates, and saying, oh, I'm going to, to choose to love you based upon how I feel about you, it's a recipe for disaster. We see stories like this with Ruth and Naomi, the famous line of where you go, I will go. It's not where you go, as long as I'm feeling up for it, I'll also go. Like It's just a where you go, I will go. And at the same time, I do hope that there are warm experiences in your marriages, in your friendships of love as well. It's not an either or, but a both and. And when your experience of God, however, does not line up with the truth of God's scripture, let me take a second to say it's your experience that needs to be questioned over God's word. If a friend comes to you and said, I feel like God is leading me to take this other job, then your job as a friend is to ask some questions, to seek wisdom, to pray for them, to be a friend. And if that job is not out of bounds in regards to Scripture, it's to encourage them forward. You and I should not be telling them to do that or do this if it's not for God. Your, your job is not to dictate their lives, it's to be a friend to them. However, however... If a friend comes to you and says, I feel like God is telling me to quit my job and start laundering money for the cartel, like that's a no. Like that is a no. That is where you look at that and say, you may feel like God is having that experience with God, but the truth of Scripture says that is a a, a red light. Like we're not doing that. Like that is not the road forward because that's not in line with the Scriptures. And it's usually maybe not that clear cut. Maybe it's that they or you feel like God is calling them into an unhealthy relationship or maybe a, a shady financial decision or to take a job where well, maybe they'll make more money but not be able to fulfill their obligations as a good father or mother to their kids. And when you have these, these, these feelings from the Lord, of saying, you have to evaluate them in light of the truth in the Bible. Experience is an incredible teacher, brothers and sisters, but it's a terrible master. It is not in charge. So what does it look like for you, like Moses, to experience the goodness of God in line with God's Scripture? Remember that Moses' face is shining with God's glory. And at its core, God's communicating His love, mercy, and compassion Moses, as well as the people he he speaks to, experiences this love, mercy, and compassion. So what did Moses do to get this? What did he earn? How hard did he work to kind of receive this from the Lord? And when I read through Exodus, I see that Moses was willing to keep showing up. Simply put, he believed that God was good and trustworthy, and he kept showing up. It didn't mean that every day was his face shining and him coming back down. It doesn't mean that every day was, you know, God's glory passed before him. There were probably lots of days where that dude just, you know, went, he just was walking for a while. He, you know, helped with dinner. He, you know, talked to people. He counseled other people. He felt distant from God. But he had those experiences because he kept putting himself in places where the Lord, where he could have those experiences time and time again. I've been married now 16 years. it will be 17 this summer, Lord willing. Yes, all the applause. Two months, a year, 50 years, always applaud. Um, So day after day, week after week, it's going to be Drew and Diane Henley. We file taxes as married, filing jointly. We check the box for our kids' applications, school applications as married, kids living with both parents. Our bank accounts, our checks have both of our names on them, et cetera, et cetera. In short, we will be married for the for you know until one of us dies. Which, you know, given our you know how healthy my wife is, it's probably going to be me dying first. But until one of us dies, in short, we will continue to be married. But I also long, like every married person in this room, like every friend to a friend, I long to continue to feel loved, desired, and connected. Now, we won't all the time, don't, we won't and don't feel that way all the time, but if we want to feel that way, we also have to be honest that it doesn't just happen. The way it happens is that we give ourselves opportunities to connect and experience each other. If I look at my marriage and say I feel distant from my wife, but I have not pursued a date night, I have not carved out time in our schedule for us to spend time together, I can't look at it and say, "Well, I just feel distant. Something's, you know, God do something. Something's wrong here." I've got to be willing to 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 set aside the time to create those experiences where I can be connected to her. It doesn't mean we always experience those deep relational connections, but I can guarantee you. We won't if we don't take those opportunities. And this is the same with God. We've got to give ourselves opportunities to deeply connect with God. It doesn't mean that we're always going to have those mountaintop experiences. But trust me when I tell you that if you don't take the opportunity to to set aside the time, you definitely won't have those experiences. And I know this is hard. I know this is hard. We've got four kids. We are super busy. You guys are all super busy. But when you look back at the last week, if you feel distant from God, you have to be willing to ask yourself the hard question of what did my schedule look like? When did I set aside the time where I was going to have the opportunity to connect with God through prayer? When did I have the opportunity? When did I did I say yes to discipleship group where I can be amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to receive God's guidance from them? When did I set aside the time? I, if I, you know, sometimes we're getting better at you know whether it's exercising or or you know your mental health uh, kind of check-ins. But what does it look like for us to say I'm going to carve out this time? Maybe it's once a week on your Sabbath to be away with the Lord together, and maybe it's ten minutes at first. Maybe that 10 minutes grows to 30 minutes, grows to an hour, but in those moments, you experience who God is. And every time you do this, you're opening up the door to that experience. Every time you come to church on a Sunday, you're opening up the door to experiencing God's love, His goodness, and care. Because He's present with us when we sing. He's stirring our hearts as we sing truthful praises about Him. He's with us in our our prayers as we come down to take communion, come down the center aisle and take communion. Those are opportunities to be in the presence of God together. So give yourself those opportunities. So this week, the question I have for you and myself is, what are we going to do to give ourselves those opportunities? If you're a Christian in this room, I want you to hear from me that He loves you and has already chosen to accept you even your flawed, uh, you know, flawed, sinful self for all of eternity. But I also want you to hear from me and hear from Moses that he also longs to metaphorically meet you on that mountaintop and change you, just like he changed Moses a few thousand years ago, in experiencing God's goodness, his grace, and his love. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for. The invitation that You give us as sons and daughters of Yours to be with You. To experience You. And may that experience of You, may it change us. May You grow us into men and women who look more and more like Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.